If you have been in my office or maybe walked by my office along the, the hallway here at church any time in the last year or so, you notice that there are, are 16 pictures sitting on my wall or hanging on my wall. And those pictures are kind of off-center. They, they, they don't quite, they're not centered up where they're supposed to be right in the middle of the wall. And if that's something that bothered you, I'm sure if you sat in my office and looked at the wall, it would be distracting. What's distracting for me? The truth is I started putting stuff up on the wall and, and never finished. And so half of the wall has 16 pictures and the other half of the wall is empty. On, on Friday, a, a few of us were talking about needing to, to either move the, the photos altogether. I was talking with, with Terry and Paula who work here in the office. We said, we either need to move the photos altogether or you got to hang something else up. It's just off center. And uh, we do, we need to do something. And at some point, uh, our attention turned to some of the art that I have uh, from Malawi on, on the bookshelf. It's hard to believe that, it's hard to believe that this was 12 years ago that, that Haley and I lived in Malawi. And that it's been 15 years since we were, were first introduced to the country. When I went on our, our first trip, when we went on our first trip there for two weeks, we, we had no idea that those two weeks would turn into multiple trips and would turn into a year of living there and lifelong friendships. A week does not go by that I don't talk to people who live in Malawi, that I don't talk to my Malawian friends. And I remember quite a bit from that first trip. One of the, the memories that stands out most was, was our first village to a, a place called Nkoma. It's this, this small kind of remote village. It houses a hospital. It houses a, a, nurse, a nursing school and a, and a theological college. When Haley and I lived there for the year, we, we would visit that school once a week. I, I taught two classes, systematic theology and Pentateuch. Um, and Haley would spend time during that day that we were, we were in Nkoma uh, with the, the pastor's wives talking through things like hygiene and hospitality. So Nkoma was this kind of hub for the Presbyterian church in the area, but the surrounding villages... The surrounding villages were, were home of something called an area development project, something that, that we had partnered with, with World Vision, uh, to, to kind of help these communities uh, grow, to help these communities develop. It, it's a collection of villages that span about 15 to 20 different miles that World Vision comes alongside of during a period of 15 to 20 years. The goal is you, you move in for 15 to 20 years, you work with the locals, and then you leave. So you help to establish things like clinics, like, like preschools, like regular elementary age schools. You, you teach things like farming and, and different sorts of ways to, to raise income. And World Vision walks with them for 15 to 20 years and then moves on. It was within that ADP that I, I first sat in a hut that not all this different from the one up here that Haley's reading a book in front of and heard a woman who was ashamed. She was ashamed to return to her church because she had been brewing beer, which is illegal in Malawi, made of mustard leaves. And, and she thought that she would be judged by her church because she was paying for her son's college by brewing an illegal drink. It was within the ADP that we visited a, a preschool that had walls made from grass, 
a dirt floor and three or four teachers working with well over 100 kids. I can still see some of those kids' faces. And I remember my first visit to a farm in the ADP and being shocked by the ingenuity of the farmers. I got on a machine that kind of looked like one of those ellipticals that you find in the gym. I said, this is kind of out of place. It's out in the middle of a field. Why, why is there an elliptical out here in the middle of the field? But it was actually a water pump. And as you pumped your, your legs, water moved from the reservoir up the hill to the crops that sat at the top of the hill. It was also during that visit where I, I first saw a fruit tree with more than one type of fruit on it. I think it was a, a group of lemon trees that had orange tree branches grafted into the side of it. I remember looking at them and thinking, what's this new type of tree? What is this crazy technology? I've, I've never, it shows you how much I know about farming. I know nothing about farming. Of, of course, those, those trees have existed for, for a long time. And, and, and part of the, the development that World Vision was doing with this community was helping them to provide different types of fruit. So one of the resources was teaching them how to graft different fruits into their trees. In the middle of Romans chapter 11, Paul, he pairs this image of grafting, this image of grafting olive branches coming together, them, them coming together with an illustration about dough. And, and he does this, these, these two illustrations. He pairs these two illustrations, grafting olive branches and, and dough, like, like bread dough, to, to, to give his readers three clear warnings. And these images come at the tail end of a, a bigger section in Paul's letter where he wrestles with questions around God's sovereignty. That's where we've been for the last few weeks. So a few weeks ago, we looked at Romans 9 where he grieves the unbelief of his family and the unbelief of his friends, saying that he would give up everything, everything, if his friends and family might know Christ. And then last week, we looked at Romans 10. And the concept of righteousness, what Paul means when he, he talks about righteousness, where he, he, he suggests that we're only really made right with God through Christ. That's what righteousness means, to be made right with. To be, we're only made right with God through the person of Christ. And then we get to, to chapter 11, and, and it's as if Paul is saying, have you been paying attention? Have you been listening We've been talking about this over and over again for the last couple chapters. Have you been paying attention? He writes again about the people of Israel saying that there are at least some who had received God's grace. And then, starting at verse 11, we read this. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. 
If some of the branches have been broken off and and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I read this passage, I I get the sense that the Gentiles in Rome needed to kind of be put in their place. Be careful. Be careful. Don't, Don't take yourself too seriously. They were on the verge of thinking way too highly of themselves if they didn't already think way too highly of themselves. And Paul reminds them, and Paul reminds us, that followers of Christ shouldn't be standing up pointing fingers or boasting because of something we've earned or something that that we have somehow figured out and the rest of the world hasn't. It's as if Paul is saying, it's all about grace. It has always always been all about grace and that grace is God's to give and God's alone to give one of my my favorite lines about living grace-filled lives uh, was written by uh, Dallas Willard and, and, and he wrote grace isn't opposed to effort I've shared this before here grace isn't opposed to effort it's opposed to earning Grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Grace isn't opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. And here, it's almost as if Paul is warning his readers to check their attitude to check their attitude, to make sure they don't fall into this this trap of entitlement. Be careful how highly you think of yourselves. His first warning has to do with with learning to to recognize holiness. He uses uh, this illustration in verse 16 that would have made a lot of sense to anyone who was familiar with the story of Moses, anyone who was uh, familiar with the the Israelite people as they prepared to enter the the promised land. In in Numbers 15, uh, verses 17 through 21, we read that the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you eat the food of the land, present a portion as an offering to the Lord. Present a loaf from the first of your ground meal and present it as an offering from the threshing floor. Throughout the generations to come, you are to give this offering to the Lord from the first of your ground meal. When someone wanted to express thanks for their harvest, 
thanks for what God had given them, they would bring the first portion of their produce and offer it to God. And in doing so, in bringing that first fruit, the entire crop was considered to be holy. Not just the part that was presented. The entire crop. This is the reason why when we we call for an offering on Sunday morning, I'll stand up here typically and say something along the lines of, as we bring a portion of what we have been given, we ask God that you would take all of who we are, that this would be representative of all of who we are, of all of what we have, and that you would use this and you would use us for your kingdom. Our intent isn't just to have what we give here on Sunday to be used for God's purpose, it's All of what we have. All of who we are. Now, most of y'all know that I'm a a pretty big baseball fan. If you've been here a couple weeks, you'll hear me tell stories of of baseball, whether it's coaching baseball or uh, of my, my fandom of baseball. And one of my favorite players in today's game is Clayton Kershaw, which pains me to say as a Padre fan, I'm sorry, Giants fans. It pains me, it pains me to say that, but Clayton Kershaw is just A great, great guy. He's also a great player. But I'll never forget what he said at a press conference after signing what was then a record contract. He said, a lot of good can be done with this money. It wasn't, I'm so excited, I finally made it. It was, a lot of good can be done with this money. Kershaw has an organization that does all kinds of work in Zambia, which is the neighboring country to, to Malawi. So I imagine that he was thinking of the families that he serves, the kids that he serves in Zambia, when he said a lot of good can be done with this money. God, take this and use it. Use it. The money wasn't about him. It was set apart. That's what holy means, by the way, is set apart. It was set apart for another purpose whether we make nine thousand dollars a pitch or fifteen dollars an hour we don't give to god to prove our worth or to compete with one another and saying hey look look at how much i have given we we give so that every area of our lives would be holy so that every area of our lives would be set apart And we also do it to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God in the first place. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates 1 Corinthians 4-7. He writes this, Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? Just ask the question. Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? Everything we have, everything we are. When we set aside that first fruit, we're, we're recognizing what is holy and everything else follows. The second illustration Paul uses to drive home this point is, if the root is holy, so are the branches. If the root is set apart, so is everything else. Over the last few weeks, Paul has been asking questions about whether or not God remained faithful to the Israelite people, even when they didn't necessarily always remain faithful to him. And here he provides an answer. They've always been set apart. Always holy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their stories shouldn't be thrown out just because some of the people who followed them lost their way. 
recognizing and acknowledging holiness, it lays the foundation for understanding the two other warnings that Paul writes about here. In verses 18 through 21, he he says, Do not consider yourself to be superior over the other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant. Doesn't get more plain than that. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. In other words, watch your pride. Know your place. If we're honest with ourselves in the the Christian church, we should be honest with ourselves in the the Christian church, even with the painful parts of our, our history, even with the painful parts of our identity, the history of the church is entangled with all kinds of pride, with all kinds of entitlement, where where folks in the church have said, We deserve this because fill in the blank. Many of the uh, confessions that are included in the first part of our denomination's constitution are written in response to some of those moments in history. Some of the moments in history where the church or someone in the church says, we are entitled to this because of... Take the Barman Declaration. The Barman Declaration was written in response to an attempted hijacking of the church and her purpose in Germany during Hitler's reign. One of the concluding lines of that Barman Declaration reads this. We reject the false doctrine as though the church in human arrogance could place the word and work of the Lord in service of any arbitrarily chosen desires, purposes, and plans. Paul issued a warning to Roman Christians during a a, a time when when Jewish people weren't really seen on equal footing in Roman society. It was a season where many were were just being invited back into Rome after being booted from Rome. They're, they're, They're being invited back, and not everyone was excited that they were showing up again. It would have been easy for the fledgling church in, in Rome to, to jump on board with that, that, that prevalent thought that existed in Roman society that, that was kind of this anti-Jewish attitude. To pile on judgment while, while telling others, yeah, that's, that's them, but we're us. That's different from who we are. And Paul says, whoa, hold up. We need to remember our roots. And be a people defined first and foremost by the grace of God that is offered through Jesus. As he writes here, I have to imagine that he had the words of Jesus echoing in his mind. The words that we read earlier during our call to worship. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He continues with a a third warning, and he warns to live without presumption. He says, don't assume, don't assume that simply because you've been grafted into the olive tree, you're going to remain there, that you're good. And don't assume that others are going to be disconnected, removed from that tree. They hadn't replaced the Jewish people in God's plan in any way, so so they, they shouldn't fall into the trap of believing that the church was somehow only for Gentiles 
only for one group of people, that, or even worse, that God chose them specifically because they were Gentiles. If they were to go down that path, they'd make the same mistake that had been made earlier, presuming that God's grace is tied specifically to one group of people. And if they did make that presumption, Paul writes, don't be surprised when God handles you the same way he handled those who fell away earlier. Again, this is a warning. Wake up is what it's saying. Grace is God's to give. And the minute we presume we're safe or good with God because of something that we have done, or the, the moment that we believe that we're, we're somehow good because we were born in the right place or had the right parents or that we've checked all the right boxes and have earned a position, the moment that we assume that, we fall into the same trap of entitlement that the removed branch of people fell into. Anyone who's been grafted into the tree that Paul's talking about here, anybody who's been grafted into that tree needs to hear Paul's warnings here. We need to learn to recognize holiness, to see it, and to get, dedicate ourselves to the pursuit of it. We, as the church, are called to live as a set-apart people. Again, that's what holy means. But that doesn't mean we should boast or that we should be prideful. We need to know our place as a people defined by grace, which means we should live without presumption. God is the one who chooses who is grafted into his family, not us. Once again, God is the one who gives the grace. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, may your words guide us this week. Help us to live as a people defined by your grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen.